Hello, hello. Welcome to another Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. Hope you're well. I wasn't going to do a podcast this week because it's interlull, you know? I don't normally Arscast regular during an interlull, but, you know, the week that's in it, when nothing happened, and it's the nothing happening, of course, that's the thing because it was transfer deadline day. It was Tuesday. It was 6 o'clock. We had the chance to boost our squad. And what happened? Nothing. Yes, that's what it takes, a beer, just to sort of get into the mood of this particular thing. I was a little bit lucky because I had uh, Tuesday afternoon, we were doing the live blog, as always, on Arsblog News, hoping against hope that something might happen. I think we knew deep down in our hearts that it wouldn't. And then about three o'clock, I got this huge distraction, which I'll tell you about a little bit later. Towards the end of the show, I'll tell you about that, where I, I you know, I... I just couldn't look at anything. I didn't know if anything was happening, uh, and I didn't get caught up in that final few hours of of craziness and madness and and everything else. Uh, And at 6 o'clock, the the window closed, and that was it from an Arsenal point of view. No money was spent other than the £10 million on Petr Cech. So I decided, yeah, we'd probably better have a chat about that and the consequences of that, of course. And today, today we discover, out of the blue... An announcement on the Arsenal website, Danny Welbeck, out of action for a period of months, months, which could be three, it could be six, could be five, who knows? It's a period of months, and that's obviously hugely disappointing because while everybody wanted us to sign a striker, there was at least a vague, vague understanding of, well, you know, we've got Giroud, and we we bought Welbeck last season for £16 million, and at some point he's got to come back, and he is a striking option. He does give us something that perhaps Giroud doesn't, and perhaps Walcott doesn't, a little bit of a hybrid of both of them with a bit of pace, a bit of power, etc., etc. And look, uh, I wouldn't say that the £16 million that we spent on Danny Welbeck was the best money we ever spent, nor was it the worst money we've ever spent. He still has quite a bit to prove as an Arsenal player, but at least we had him. You know, he was there. If Giroud lost form or didn't find form in the first place and Walcott's struggles up top continue, at least you've got him there and you might say, well, let's give him five or six games and see what he can actually do. Let's use this squad depth. Let's use this competition. Danny Welbeck might just blossom. Who knows? At least he was there in the absence of a signing. And then we were told that he's not. And that obviously they knew about it last week, ahead of the transfer deadline, and I completely understand why that news was kept uh, under the radar before the deadline, because maybe we did maybe we did try and buy somebody, but it doesn't make any sense to go into the market. <laughs> I know, it doesn't make any sense if you go in and, uh, and you've just announced that one of your strikers is, you know, banjaxed and is likely to be banjaxed for some time. That doesn't make any sense at all. But then neither does not buying a forward when you know that one of your strikers is going to be banjaxed and banjaxed for quite some time. So not much of it makes a huge amount of sense. So what we'll try and do is 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 find some sense in what's going on, look at what we didn't do in the transfer market, compare it to what others did, perhaps. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's just kind of pointless. Uh Got to get some beer in here. Um, But look at the squad. 
Because I do think there's an element of, in the clamour for transfers, you know, you, you overplay the negatives that we have and you don't really look at any of the positives. And there are some positives and that this group of players in the second half of last season put together a very, very good run. Now, of course, we, we're worried because that doesn't look like it can be replicated at this moment in time. Four games into the new season, we have struggled. It's been a stuttering start to the season, but but we'll try and explore everything between now and, and the end of this particular podcast. It has been put together kind of at the last minute because, as I said, I wasn't planning on um, on doing one. But then, you know, with everything that's going on, we, we might as well. And look, sure, you have something to listen to on a Friday, and, and then everyone's happy. So there we are. So look, uh, let's do it. Let's let's chat to the two guests that I've got for you uh, this week. First up, uh, from Ars Blog News, it's Andrew Allen. Hello. Hello there. And from North Bank Lower, James, good evening to you, sir. Good evening, all. Uh, let me start with you, James. Um, is the announcement nice. that <laughs> Arsenal, having failed to boost their striking um, options in the transfer window. Uh, the announcement of Danny Welbeck's injury, which is going to keep him out for a period of months, is that the most Arsenal thing of all time? It's right up there, isn't it? It's, it's, um, it wasn't a surprise for me anyway, because I, I got wind of it um, probably about a week ago, actually, that he was going to have to be operated. Um I can see, obviously, why they've only just announced <laughs> announced it today um, because of the pandemonium it would have caused had it been announced, um, for example, a few days ago with the, the window still open and then, obviously, with, with Arsenal not doing any business at all. Mm. Um, so, yeah, obviously, it's a, it's a... You know, Danny Welbeck's not a world-beater. Let's it's, um, it's not pretend that he is, but he's a very useful... Um, player with a lot of pace and and he is a threat, you know, going forward. Which which you know we haven't really looked that threatening so far this season. So it's uh, it's definitely a blow. Yeah. Mm. Do you, I mean, James? Do you think it made any difference to what the club tried to do before the end of the window? I I know 100 percent that last minute they went for the the Russian striker at Dynamo Moscow, uh, Kokarin. Uh, that that was a legitimate rumour. I don't know if you saw it, yeah. but they did try to bring him in on loan. Um, but his club weren't having any of it because he, I, I believe he's only got a year left on his contract. So um, they're reluctant to to do it as a loan deal. And Arsenal didn't didn't want to buy that particular player. So they obviously did, did try last minute for um, uh, kind of a, a Welbeck replacement, if you like, um, one with uh, some sort of credence. And he's played thirty odd times for. For Russia, but it, it just it did reek a bit of um, you know desperate times, desperate desperate measures, really, which mm. is very Arsenal, as you said, <laughs> Andrew. <laughs> it, it is kind of a desperate thing because uh, while we do have Giroud fit, while we've got Walcott fit, while we've got Alexis fit, who could who could play up front feasibly, the the people who were frustrated by the fact we didn't bring in a striker at least were aware that, that Danny Welbeck was there and was an option. Um, and one of the worries, of course, is that injury strike and then we're left without adequate cover in certain positions. We're not quite there yet, but with Welbeck gone, it really did behoove them to to move heaven and earth to, to try and, and sign somebody. If they knew last week, perhaps it was more time to, to get something done. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a weird one, isn't it, really? Because uh, you, you, if you knew that Welbeck was out, but you also know that you can't secure a sort of a star grade striker like Benzema, you're you're scratching around thinking, do we get someone who can do a bit of a job but will eventually end up on the bench? And we bought those players before. I mean, look at Chu Young Park as an example. Mm. Um, how much satisfaction do you get from signing a player like that who comes in with low expectations, really isn't likely to set the world alight, might fill in for a couple of Carling Cup games and come off the bench as an option, may surprise a few people, but you get no guarantees and you certainly don't expect him to kind of be a world beater. It's it's a complicated situation. I, I think from a numbers point of view, it's 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 more of an issue. I mean, you, you let someone like Sonogo, who I know is hardly flavour of the month or you know flavour of the year with Arsenal fans, go out on loan for a year to go and get some experience. Um, but you also think, well, actually, he could have been quite useful because we do have Carling Cup games coming up. So someone like Joel Campbell is hanging around mostly because there's a squad position there which we, we need to fill. Mm. Um, is it frustrating that we haven't signed a striker? Yes. But I find it frustrating that we haven't been able to sign a really good striker. Mm. I'm not really, you know, if you if you take out the kind of top band strikers, I personally am not particularly interested in us signing a name for the sake of signing a name, um, just filling a position because we've done it before and it's a it's a kind of it's a short term fix, but it doesn't really solve anything. Mm. And Danny will be back at Christmas hopefully, and hopefully he'll be a player who can deliver. But right now, Arsenal's biggest thing is making sure that the players that we have in the squad uh, return to confidence and get the goals that we know that they can get. Because mm. we've seen Walcott scoring goals and we've seen Giroud scoring goals, and obviously we know Alexis can score goals. All three of them can score goals, but we need them to play with confidence and we need them to, to play together well. Mm. We might come back to what, what he might do to, to make that happen. But James... Um... When we talk about signing a striker, and I think at the start of the transfer window, everybody wanted Arsenal to sign somebody who could improve the team straight away. So you're looking at, you know, someone of the caliber of Aguero, one of those kind of players. Um, as the window progressed, the chances of getting that kind of player were were less and less because they just simply don't really exist or they're not available. Even Benzema, um, you know, the the situation he was in at Real Madrid, the likelihood of, of, of him joining us from there, unless Real Madrid told him to get stuffed, were really, really slim. Um, but what do, what do you make of the reaction to the fact that we haven't made a signing. I saw people say that, um, you know, they were going to stop following the club, that it was it was one of the worst things that they've ever seen. But is the fact that we find it difficult as a club to sign a world-class forward, is that really one of the worst things? No, it's not. You only need to look around the market to see that. Or, I mean, I kept referring to Manchester United, I think, in the last few days. I mean, at the time, just before they splashed um, what could be 80 million euros on a 19-year-old kid. Um, I, I was saying, I mean, look at their striking options. I mean, at the time, it was, you know, Hernandez hadn't been sold. So it was Hernandez, Rooney, um, James Wilson, and I guess um, Fellaini, who, they, you know, he likes to throw up in desperate uh, measures. Um, you know, now you look at it, they've sold Hernandez, um, 
James Wilson is obviously not going to get that many opportunities because they're look, they're hawking him around to to get him out on loan. Mm. Um, and they've signed Marshall, who's a you know is a massive punt. I don't care what anyone says, a huge punt. Um, you know, you know. So that just shows that a club like Manchester United can't, um, you know, they can't go out and buy who who they want. Who you know, you know, say sort of five, six, seven years ago, they they could have conceivably done that. Yeah. And you know, there's just too many big players now in European football that you know, and and the talent is spread so thinly, um, that the availability of truly world-class players that you can just go out and get, um, you know, a few and far between. Um, I, it's massively frustrating. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I I would have loved it if, if, if we could have signed a, a player of Benzema's ilk. I think that would have been really great. Uh, you know, I, I also have huge concerns, as many Gooners do, about um, the holding midfield position and, you know, Coquelin's come in and been a revelation, but... Um, you know, you know, I feel like like um, this Arsenal team with him in have, have lost a lot of uh, control from midfield and being able to dictate the tempo of the game. And I'm not knocking Coquelin for that at all, but um, you know, that's not a particular strength of his. So I still think that that is a you know a, a huge area that we need to strengthen. But from what I've heard, I don't think Arsenal fingers that that concerned. I mean, he's obviously. Loved what he's seen from Coquelin, and, and I believe he feels that he can really improve him. Um, even though he's not, you know, a spring chicken, he's kind of mid twenties now. Uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe we see um, maybe Jack tried in that position in certain games when he's back to full fitness. I know um, Wenger's been reluctant to do so um, in the past. Uh, you know, when England have played him in that role, and Wenger prefers him further forward. But with such a um, and an almost embarrassment with riches in that part of the field. Um, I've got a feeling that he might be utilised there. And like, likewise, Alexis uh, up front, I think, you know, I, I initially think Arsene Wenger bought him for that reason, but tried him there a couple of times last season, which didn't really work. And he was so good playing off the left, but it really wouldn't surprise me if in certain games he's, um, you know, he's tried there again. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, totally frustrating. But I think, uh, as you said in your piece this morning, we have loads of options and there's there's loads of players that really need to come to the fore now, like Oxlade-Chamberlain, you know, Theo Walcott. They really need to, to take this opportunity now. But, but again, we're just relying on everyone staying fit and we know that that is just a huge problem for us. Mm. Um, we'll come back to fitness, I think. Andrew, just Arsene something going back to Marshall, the, the, the United signed... He said that, you know, this indicates that there isn't a problem with money. It's not an issue of money in the market because English clubs in particular, as we know, are flush from new deals. Arsenal clearly have money to spend that wasn't spent. So he said it's not a question of money. It's a question of availability. Um, And is that particular signing, United signing, uh, a guy, I think uh, there was a stat going around this morning that he's only completed 90 minutes eight times. So when you're paying 50 million euros, whatever that might be in pounds sterling, is probably 300 pounds the way the euro is at the moment. But, um, (laughs) but, you know, it's it's a lot of millions for a guy of of such inexperience. do we look at that and say, okay, well, that's mental? Or do we have to say, 
that's the market. And if we want to do things, we've we've just got to get involved. Um, I think Manchester United went batshit crazy, to be honest. And it <laughs> sounds like they tripled their offer for the player in the space of a week um, because they were so incredibly desperate because I think they've really played a bad hand over the course of the transfer market. That being said, I I think this is very kind of similar to this time last year and it wasn't strikers who were the issue last year it was central defenders Mm. and Thomas Vermaelen was the guy that Manchester United wanted and Barcelona ended up getting him and we were willing to sell a player who let's be honest was far from being at the top of his game but there was a dearth of players and there was plenty of money around and there was plenty of interest amongst clubs for players who quite honestly were able to you know basically quote terms to teams yeah um I, I mean, it sounds really weird, but I mean, what I don't understand is why Karim Benzema was at no point linked with Manchester United, because I don't want to sound weird about this, but Manchester United, quite frankly, are a bigger team than Arsenal financially. They are able to dictate, you know, much bigger kind of prices to, to brands and stuff, and they have more money. So mm. you look at that, and you, you look at that player, and you think, okay, is it just a relationship with Arsene Wenger, the French connection, all the rest of it? Um, but the other thing is that, you know, if Real Madrid are going to sell a striker of Karim Benzema's stature, surely they're looking to buy someone in his place. And mm. there isn't really anybody out there who's better than Benzema to go and replace Benzema. So, so are so, you kind of saying that the Benzema was never really on the market or on the, the agenda? I, or? I think Arsenal were definitely sniffing around him, but I'm almost certain that that was dependent on Real Madrid finding someone else, as was very much the case with a lot of deals. I mean... Mm. Um, you know, obviously the Urzel Bale thing was all tied up together a few years ago. It's it just it just feels like there probably wasn't the access to the very top level players. Now, don't get me wrong; I think that's in the striking department. I think we really should have done something in the defensive midfield department. I think there was a real opportunity to bring greater strength in depth to that part of the team because the likes of Snyderlin were obviously available. Um, and I think he was a player who we were very much in for in January before the Coquelin development took place. Mm. And let's be frank, I mean, as much as I like Arteta, and I think he brings a sense of calm and a different element to the centre of midfield, um, he's really only around for another year. Flamney's only around for another year. Someone like Schneidlin, who in his mid to late 20s is going to be around for four or five years and seems to really have a grip on what life is like in the Premier League, would have been a, an exceptional purchase, I think. Um, and there were others like him. I mean, we saw Kondogbia play against us, who I think has moved to Inter Milan. I'm not sure. Um, a guy who I thought really kind of had it in him to go, kind of go to the next level. Mm. Um, so it seems strange, really, that we didn't develop on that side. But yeah. striking-wise, I mean, look, United got desperate and they threw a whole load of money and they're taking a massive gamble. And I think Arsenal thought, that's not a gamble I need to take. I'd rather sit on that money and play, you know, play with it later. Mm. James, is a defensive midfield player, as much as everyone would like to uh, to see a strength in there, is that the difference between this Arsenal team winning the title and not? Particularly in, in the light of Arsene Wenger talking about how the thing that he wants most from this team is more goals. He knows that they've got to score more goals. So he's looking for more from Oxlade-Chamberlain, more from Walcott, more from Ozil. Um, is the defensive midfield, is strengthening there, is that what what it would take? I believe so. I mean, I think the one of the reasons why we're not scoring, you know, as many 
goals as, as we're kind of used to is because we, we are unable to control games like we used to um, from midfield. Um, you, you know, I agree with Andrew. Uh, I'm a massive Arteta fan, but I mean, you only need to look at um, the, <laughs> the, the the photo shoots from training sessions to see. I mean, he, he had tape on both legs the other day. I don't know if you noticed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was, it was like it was like the bionic man and, and so I I can't imagine that he's you know he's really going to be able to be relied upon um, I hope I'm wrong because I'm a big fan but you know even beyond this season it's highly unlikely that he'll be around next season um, you know Flat Flamini they, they, they would have been happy to um, get, get rid of this season um, I think, but uh, at least one of one of those there was, I think, to Galatasaray fell through for whatever reason. Um, Mess it so, wouldn't let yeah. it go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to rely on Flamini either. Although I, I honestly don't think he's as bad as some make out. But, no, I agree. I agree, but um, and then and then at the same time, Cockland's just is um, it's it's just unfortunate circumstances in a way because I I can't see this Arsenal team winning the league or challenging, you know, really challenging for it with him as our holding midfield player, unless, um, you, know, you know, Arsenal can find some sort of blend that gets Ramsey into the centre of midfield because you're wasting so much talent with him on the right, although he does the job very well, which is a, a kind of a mark of his profession and, and uh, professionalism and athleticism. Um, but you need to get Ramsey back in the middle. Um, but at the same time, you can't really play Ramsey and Cochran because, again, neither of them can really dictate the tempo of the game. So it's a bit of a catch-22 situation. And, and I totally agree. I, th- I actually thought that getting a real quality defensive midfield player was more important than a centre-forward throughout the summer. Um, so, so for me, that's a, that's a big oversight. Um, you know, I'm just hoping that that, you know, Wenger isn't naive, don't care what Gary Neville says, he really isn't. Um, but I just hope that he has really thought this one through and, and you know, it, it isn't a massive issue because knowing Arsenal, they're not going to buy in January, not not um, not, a, not a big player anyway, I wouldn't have thought. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it might be a Gabriel-type signing if they can find someone. But as we know, you know, there's just not that many um, quality talent available out there, so... Yeah. Well, yeah, maybe maybe that kind of addition would have been more uh, gettable than a world-class striker uh, yeah, to so, add yeah. like a very good central midfielder. I mean, I don't think any of the names that people have thrown about have been what you would call world-class. I think no. Schneiderlin's a good player, but I don't think he's, you know, t- top, top quality. Um, well, neither do I. And he's, um, I mean, what ended that? That kind of interest was not not only the emergence of Cochrane because, like Andrew said previously, we were hugely in from him in January. Mm. Um, uh, but I think you know, the emergence of Cochrane and also the the players' demands um, in terms of um, wages and everything else that, that comes with that um, were just kind of you know Arsenal weren't willing to to go um, to those lengths and make him one of the top earners of the club. Mm. Uh, Andrew, how much of the frustration uh, with what happened in this transfer window uh, could be tallied with Arsenal's fairly um, legendary secrecy in the market that people think, well, we didn't do anything uh, because we don't hear so uh, so many rumours or because things don't become public that there's uh, people equate that with inaction. Um, and for all we know, 
a lot went on behind the scenes. I, I'm just throwing it out there. Uh, maybe there was a lot going on. I mean, as, as uh, James has said, there was uh, late moves, late loan moves going on, and you can't uh, you can't help but think that that's probably not the only one. Um, so that kind of tends to color the the perception of what's happened this transfer window. Mm. Well, I mean, the fact is, if we'd signed Petr Cech on deadline day after a summer of not signing anybody, you'd probably be feeling pretty good about life. The the fact <laughs> is, these these things are just you know, I, I think it needs a couple of weeks to settle down for us to start winning games, for us to start scoring some goals, and the pressure will be off. The, the circumstances in which we built up to the deadline day were such that without any goals in the team, uh, the obvious uh, headlines were going to be about whether or not we were going to sign a striker. There are goals in this team. We know that. We've seen the number of goals that these players have scored before, and it's it's inevitable when you look at the likes of Cazorla, Chamberlain, I mean, obviously Welbeck's injured, but Özil um, as well. You know, guys who have the quality in the final third to definitely score more. So I agree with Wenger. There is more goals in the current squad. Um, yes, we could have added more, you know, goals from a, from another player potentially. Um, but I mean, does it mean? Does it? Is it going to take a, a change of system? I mean, I think we saw maybe signs of it against Newcastle that he was willing to to tinker with yeah. things. He, he put he put Walcott in, um, Giroud, all before the game. There was all the talk about how many goals he'd scored against Newcastle since he arrived. I think he scored eight or ten goals yeah. against against Newcastle. Uh, but but Walcott was in as centre forward. Um, I mean, that seems to me the best way to try and spark the team is to is to is to shift things around a little bit. I think so. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, we we need to find a better way to set ourselves up. Now, look, the Newcastle game is a, a, a weird. The, the Newcastle game is a weird example in that, mm. um, you know, there we were set up to to counter a team who were attacking at home, and they go down to ten men, and we end up, you know, you're not going to substitute Theo Walker after 25 minutes just because the opposition have had their you know team reduced to ten men, so. I don't think it's a great example, but I definitely feel like we could go back to having, you know, we could, I, I think it would be worthwhile trying a 4-4-2 situation at some mm. point. Um, I definitely would like to see Walcott playing. I would like to see uh, Oxlade-Chamberlain on the same side at the same time. I'd like to maybe see uh, Alexis alongside those two as well. I mean, there's, there's plenty of options. I just think also we're just having a bit of a mental block. I mean, there's, all the stats show that we've had more shots than anybody We've had and created more chances than anybody. So the mm. ball will start to go in the net at some point. It can't continue to kind of, uh, you know, yeah. Yeah. be like that. James, well, what do you make of Oxide chamberlain in the sense that, uh, you know, he, he strikes me as the guy uh, on whom a lot of Arsene Wenger's hopes rest for this improvement from within, the internal solutions, uh, as he always talks about. Um, but... Uh, he struggled a little bit in the two games that he started. Who's that? Sorry, Walcott. No, Oxley Chamberlain. Sorry, Oxley Chamberlain. Yeah, it's quite surprising actually because he was electric in pre-season, wasn't he? Um, and also, obviously, the um, Charity Shield is, you know, arguably our best player and scored a great goal. So, yeah, yeah but very disappointing. The thing with Oxley Chamberlain is that he. He is either on it or he isn't. You know, he's not. He doesn't have many in between games, does he? So, 
Um, he's, I think he's a bit of a risky selection. Um, and I even think Wenger feels that as well, because you hardly ever see Alexis and, and Oxley Champions start in, in the same lineup. So I think there's a, you know, there's a school of thought that perhaps there is that element of, you know, if they're not on their game and they're not really having a barnstormer, they're going to lose possession and obviously affect the way that we can try and dictate the play. But there are so many sort of signs that there really is a an awesome player there mm. um, that, that he I mean he is so Arsenal isn't he because he's such a frustrating player because you know how good he can be um, yet you, you don't, just don't see enough of it so I think I mean this season really has to be a breakthrough season for him if he can stay fit that is the big thing with, with Oxley chamberlain again is that just injuries have hampered him you know when he's starting to find his feet and get a run of games in the team he's picked up a you know, an injury, and it's again, it's really frustrating. So, if he can stay fit, then and he can start to put the performances in as we know he can play, then he's going to be a vital part part of the team, I think. Andrew, very quickly before your battery runs out, uh, <laughs> what percentage are you on now? I'm still sitting at five percent. Still sitting at five. My my laptop does that, and then it goes like, uh, plug it in, or it's going to explode. But anyway, um, I can't remember the question. Oh yeah. Could, I mean, could it be a case that in the absence of, of Welbeck, that when the door opens, sometimes we see a player come in and take a chance? Hector Bellerin, for example, Francis Coquelin, as we've spoken about. Could Joel Campbell be the guy? Could he make an impact? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's asking a lot, isn't it? I'm not even sure if Joel Campbell would say yes to that answer, uh, to that question. Um I think it's more likely that we'll just muddle through with the guys that we've got. I mean, in fairness, last year we managed to survive without Giroud. And Welbeck, when he came into the side, was kind of feeling his way to, you know, to form. Mm. And, and old Alexis ended up carrying us for a while. I wouldn't be surprised if we end up relying on old Mr. Sanchez again. Mm. And um, we, we, we shift Theo back out to the right. And we just see how things work. But you never know. I mean, players know now that Welbeck is out. They know that they have to step up and fill the void between them. Wenger knows that he has to find a way to cope with that. And in fairness, it's not like he's just got injured. I mean, he's been out since April, so we survived the entire tail end of last season without Welbeck. Um, it's just really a case of Olivier and, and Theo finding their scoring boots. And as I said before, you know, those are guys who've hit 20 goals in a season before, so we know that they can do it. Um, I, 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 I'm not I'm not pessimistic at the moment. I think we have enough to keep us in touch with the leaders. But I really kind of I, I worry about how quickly the season could kind of fall into Manchester City's lap. I mean, they've got so many options. Yeah. And that really is the thing. I mean, from our opponent's point of view, they're the one team right now who look like they're going to just run away with it. Mm. Um Chelsea, Liverpool, Manchester United are going to go through a kind of state of flux for a little while, a bit of soul-searching on Chelsea's part. Um, we just need to hang on in there and just hope that we can to pick up some momentum because it's all about momentum, isn't it? I mean, yeah. you get a couple of wins, you get a couple of goals, you get a couple of players in form, and the next two, three months sail and you're just, you know, you're on a high. That's what we need. James, how are you feeling in general about the squad? I mean, do you... Do, I mean, Leaving aside what we didn't do, do you do you feel happy enough with what we've got? I mean, for me, I have to say, um, 
before the, the, the deadline came, you know, you, I looked at the squad. I think it's probably the best squad we've had in, in quite a while. I mean, I think there there's you can always look at a team or a group of players and think it can be improved to a certain extent. But in general, if it, it felt to me a fairly fairly positive squad. So is the, the negative vibe based on A, not doing anything in the transfer market, B, losing at home on the opening day of the season, um, and that that's kind of snowballed a little bit and we've lost sight of, of what this squad is, is, is good at or the, the positive side of what it, what it does. It's easily the best Arsenal squad since, I'd say, 2008, 07-08, in my opinion. I think um, when we signed um, Czech, uh, when was that now? Probably early June or whenever it was. It was, a, it was quite a... It was a feel-good factor, you know, around. There wasn't as much animosity or negativity or pessimism. Mm. Um, but I just think because of we haven't been able to build on that because of the, the reasons we've gone into, um, it, it's and obviously the slow start to the season again, not quite as bad as the start to last season, but, you know, we kind of promised and we, we have the ability to, to, well, especially with the pre-season performances to, to feel like we could just blow teams away didn't have a particularly difficult um, you know first few games of the season on paper um, especially West Ham at home and, and I think that set the tone I mean it was just such a, a terrible terrible performance from everyone and, and that really did kind of um, you know set the doubts again um, on, on what really should should be a positive start to the season because of the strength of the squad. Um, and also because, as you, as you rightly said, there's a lot of teams um, in and amongst us that are kind of really going through the motions as well, not even nearly as stable squads that we have. And I think if you look at each squad, even Chelsea's, um, you know, the desperate measures they, they went to on you know, the last ever transfer window, bringing in those two centre-halves, okay, they, they loaned one of them back to Reading. But I mean, that, again, that reeked to desperation after they were caught in John Stones for, for the whole of the summer. So, mm. um, you know, even the champions, I mean, you look at the start they made to the season and if you look through their squad, it only takes a few injuries to key players for them. And fucking hell, they're due some injuries, aren't they, Chelsea? They get away with it. They're due the fucking season. plague, not just injuries. <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> so uh, hopefully they'll they'll have a taste of what we've had for the last, what seems, you know, last decade mm. of bad luck of injuries. And and I really yeah, think... They've, they've got, got no doctors now, have they, so I mean... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I really think we've got a, a squad to, to challenge, but then you look at Man City and... You know, you, you'd have to be crazy not, you know, to back anyone other than Manchester City to win it this year. Yeah. Well, look, we'll see what happens. Um, the next three Premier League fixtures for Arsenal: Stoke City at home, Chelsea away, Tottenham away, and yeah, <laughs> you got to hope that we come through those in reasonable shape because um, otherwise, otherwise it could. Could all get a bit crazy. But look, we can touch on that uh, in the weeks to come. James from We Are The North Bank, thank you very much. You're welcome. Cheers. Andrew, Andrew Allen, thanks as always. Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. Good to be back. Thanks to the fellas for uh, for the chat and the uh, the look at where we are, what we did, what we didn't do, etc., etc. Well, we'll see. As I said at the end there, those three fixtures coming up are testing, you would have to say. And uh, maybe we'll get... Uh, uh, 
a better measure of where we are, what we can do after those. We could be feeling very happy indeed with the right results or or, or glummer than glum itself. But uh, we'll keep fingers crossed and we can look at those games uh, as and when they turn up. You can follow the guys if you want on Twitter. James at Northbank Lower, Andrew Allen at A. Allen Sports. So that's really about it uh, for this week's Arscast, this sort of last-minute thing that we're doing. I've got no beer left. It's empty. Going to have to go get another one because, uh, you know, I think we... I think we all deserve one. I'll drink one on on your behalf. There will be an Arscast Extra on Monday. Myself and James will be here, who knows what, talking about stuff and things and obviously answering some of the questions that come to us on Twitter. And uh, the thing that I mentioned at the start of the show, the big distraction that I got on Tuesday, which took me away from the Deadline Day live blog, which Andrew very kindly had to finish all on his own. There was a lot going on, so he was he was up to his eyes, but thank you to him for doing that. But I was taken away from Deadline Day madness by something pretty cool. Now, if you like podcasts, if you listen to podcasts, you've probably heard of a guy called Mark Marin. He does a show called WTF Pod from his, uh, from his house in L.A. He interviews actors and actresses and singers and musicians and uh, directors and, and all kinds of famous people from, from Hollywood and beyond. And, of course, he had President Barack Obama in his house at the start of this summer, uh, an episode that got millions of downloads and kind of thrust podcasting into the mainstream a little bit. Uh, for people who'd never really heard of it or or what it is. So he was in Dublin for a, a show on Wednesday, his, uh, his stand-up comedy show, which was very, very funny. Uh, we went to that. But I've been trying to get him on my other podcast, the podcast I do, which is kind of more of an, an interview show. And uh, after much wrangling, it happened. And so that's what I did on Tuesday afternoon. I interviewed Mark Marin for my podcast. If you want to hear it, if you want to hear about how it all came together, the way it all came together, check out the podcast at castaway.media forward slash 738 AM. That's castaway.media forward slash 738 AM. You can hear me explain how it happened, and then you can hear me interview Mark Marin like he's the fucking master of it. So it was all a bit intimidating and, and scary and weird, but I think it went well. And if you like podcasts, uh, I think you'll like this. So I hope you do anyway. The address again, castaway.media forward slash 738 AM. Right. I'll be back on Monday with an Arscast Extra with James. And then another Arscast next week when football kicks in again after this uh, whole interlow thing. So thanks for listening as always. I'll catch you on the next one. Cheers. Bye-bye. Hey, Arson, Stan here. Just wanted to give you a quick call about that whole spending thing, you know. 
Man, you have made life difficult for me this time around. The AGM is in October, and how the hell am I going to get that three million in services? I mean, <laughs> services. Can you imagine that they bought that last time? But look, when you spend thirty-five million on a Lexus and ten million here, sixteen million there, they get cranky, but they don't get cronky. You know what I'm saying? There's no distractions, so they're going to be on me like flies on shit. And man, that is on you. That's on you, Arson. Are you telling me the man who spent actual, real cash money on Andre Santos and Park Chu Young couldn't find anyone to waste some money on so it takes the heat off me when I take my services money? It's not good enough, man. It's just fucking not good enough. Keep it up, I'm going to put another one of my kids on the board. You fucking watch. Tell Ivan I said hi.